Okay, I am back. All right, Brian. And I, I, I did uh, rightfully assume, infer that the, the flickering dialogue box was not a good sign because it was showing me like eight people in the space when there were actually like 50. So anyway. Yeah, there we go. Okay, perfect. Okay, so um, the this we got started down. I mean, are we going to call them meta, by the way, for this whole conversation? Are we going to pretend that we honor this name change? Uh, I guess we have to, right? Do we have to? I no, I, I, do we have to? I'm not sure. Well, we do have to. how about how about this? I mean, we obviously don't call them alphabetters or alphabet, but um, I think that in this case they deserve it. Like they should <laughs> they be called it. It's like we're, we we are sentencing for your crimes against democracy. We sentence you to be called only by the name by which you wish to be called, the terrible name by which you renamed yourselves. Okay, fine. Yeah, so we'll call yeah. them better. Fine. Uh, the this came about because of apparently an all hands where they rolled out their change in values, which was it was bad. And Adam, you had a very funny tweet. Someone was asking. So what the internet latched onto is this kind of additional. It's not really a value. It's like not even a slogan. It's not even that. Which is uh, meta meta mates me. And people are like, what the hell is that? And apparently that is a play off of the old Navy expression of ship, shipmates, self. Which, we'll take that apart in a second. <laughs> Someone was kind of asking, was, was observing that, is it, is it metamates or is it metamates? And then you had, I thought was a very funny tweet about, well, I was I, I have been pronouncing it as Matematis, <laughs> Matematis. The, the Greek philosopher. <laughs> right. Is, it, is that the Greek philosopher that like uh, killed himself and that before he ate his children or something? Yeah, but it, I, 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 uh, I thought that was very funny. Um, well, thank you. Um, so the slogan itself, first of all, I, I was kind of amazed at how many people didn't take apart the actual like meaning of the slogan, which is your primary allegiance is to meta. And your secondary allegiance is to your team and your tertiary allegiance is to yourself, which is actually kind of a, a very strange thing for a company to say, honestly. Yeah, pretty, 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 that is kind of lunacy. Yeah. What, 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 if, if anyone in that, in that conference room that had came, come up with it had taken apart just for a little bit, it seems like maybe lunch had just arrived. So I, well, and I just think that also, I mean, as with a lot of these things, and folks that are going, and we're going to talk a lot about engineering culture here, but when you are trying to establish culture and values, do not use memes, cliches, idioms. Do not like just use words. You know, like yeah, like like words that are not cute and 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 to your point, like values are meant to endure, and memes almost certainly are not. So uh, if you're lucky, people will remember it with an eye roll. And if you're unlucky, it'll just be with a what the Right. Fuck? And I think that like – and I also actually have the question of like what are you after here? Are you after selflessness, for example? Is that what you're after with this thing? Are you after the, the, the collective commitment? Are you after teamwork? Are you after responsibility? Like can we use a word to describe what you're after instead of – this and pretty like Doug Hofstetter gave him this. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I do like this idea of like maybe if you take it apart, you say, "Well, your first, your first commitment is to the mission of destroying democracy. Right, like right. First, that is the most important. Right. Thing. Then 
tier teammates <laughs> who also have that same commitment. Who are feuding with another organization about who destroys this part of democracy first. That's right. And finally, a conceit to yourself, to your own private <laughs> motivation of democracy destruction. You would think that, like, man, read the room. You, you, if you were going to roll out a change in values, you would think this is an opportunity to really emphasize societal responsibility. You think you've got some opportunity for some kind of some freebies. Don't you think this is kind of a layup to, to emphasize that we meta, yes, we hear you, world, and we understand that we have a, a role to play in society that's larger than merely a capitalist actor. You think that they, they could actually like express that, but. Yeah. I mean, it seems like certainly a, a kind of open net shot <laughs> kind of situation. Um, but, but even, even the expression that you just used when you roll out. Oh God, values, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Like is, is, is already like it, it's, it, that one's already tough, right? That's a, that's a tough. Pill okay. To so and here's my assertion. You cannot actually at the corporate level and even maybe at an individual level, it is very hard to change your values. Certainly at that level, you can observe a value that has always been broadly held that people haven't articulated, but I think that's the most you can do. I don't think that you can meaningfully change your values when you are at that level. Well, I have perhaps a, a slightly more generous and maybe too generous take on it, which is any, any like enumeration of values is necessarily aspirational or like it, that the, the, the opportunity there is to aspire to something that is necessarily different, slightly different or grossly different than what you are. Some of it, as you say, may be an acknowledgement of, of the existing state of the world. But, but to your point, like, or, and, and then if you're a company like Meta, uh, there's an opportunity there to communicate some mea culpa, such as you feel it, to the rest of the world. Okay, so you say that this is an opportunity that values always reflect to a certain degree the better angels of our nature. This is an opportunity to really have a stretch goal with respect to those angels. That, that's what it seems like, right? That is extremely generous. That is, that is extremely generous. <laughs> Maybe too generous. But I, I think it's very hard when you are uh, trying, when those values are so aspirational as to be obviously contradictory. That's when you get, I think, in, it's like, no, what we do, this doesn't actually make sense. This is not. This does not reflect our past decisions, and I don't know how this is going to, how is this going to be folded into our, our future decisions? I think you've got to have an answer to that. Uh, absolutely. It can't be like such a stretch that the, that it feels unnavigable that like from where we are to whatever this word salad means, you know, is unreachable because then obviously they just get ignored. I mean, insofar as they don't get ignored. I, I believe you call this a word for Tata. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that that was in this thread. Yes. And, and I was wondering how long you've been sitting on word for Tata. No, 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 no. That, that was just, as, as I mentioned in that thread, uh, I think word for frittata and word salads and other kinds of word jambalaya <laughs> word keep jambalaya. me in this, in, no, in this like, so, I, you know, in this, in this day and age of like all my communication with humans is like through a screen and, and like everyone's muted, often videos are off and it's like hard to know if any of this is landing and I start listening to myself and then these are the terms that occur to me. 
and I often have this like, you know, there was a, uh, a meeting I presented at in like 2002 where I spoke for like half an hour into a conference room phone until realizing that the green light had been off <laughs> and I like kicked out the phone like, you know, five minutes into the, into the half. Oh, hour that's funny. Uh, and, 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 and so anyway, th- this is, the, these are the things that swirl around for me in uh, the age of video. Um, so I think word jambalaya is even better than word frittata. I, I, you're going to need to give me a second on that one. First of all, it, it feels oh, like good. something that the cafeteria like serves on Wednesday when they're basically taking everything from Monday <laughs> and Tuesday, and like you're just like, oh god, word jambalaya again. Oh, that's like, oh god, okay, fine. Uh, so I, I definitely, but I do think that that the the language here actually really, really does matter. I mean, obviously, language is important to both of us, but I think language has got to be very, very crisp. And it's amazing how many companies when they're trying to establish culture and values, resort to these, again, to like memes. I've seen, I, I hate to pick on them. Well, I, well, I don't hate to pick on them. Have you seen what Twilio's done in this regard? Do you know, so Twilio's values include draw the owl. This is where, is Adam there? Sorry, I'm like, I'm like I nodding in agreement as I'm muted. <laughs> okay, I, I yes. was worried that I was having like you were trying to show me what it was like to present to a conference room by actually like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go, <laughs> giving you, giving you the the real experience. No, no, I've I've I I, uh, I remember your screed about them. I was wondering if they had changed it, but I'm glad that they've they've stayed true to they've stayed the true to draw the owl as as a value, which is a reference. To, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how. I would love to know how broadly people get that i assume people broadly get that i don't know no you yes, don't think so i mean so i'm not i'm well i am like not i'm, I'm sort of like in the lower quartile of like getting memes and maybe even that's generous but like i had to google it like th- like every time that comes up i have to google it to remember what this is about um but yeah i mean it, it, i can't imagine that this is resonating for like their new college grads or whatever. i when it's and especially won't resonate for the new college grads like 5 years from now or 10 years from now this is like having like a threes company reference in your corporate values i mean at some point this is just going to pe- feel very very dated yeah, like, and why not just say like you value autonomy or you value creativity yes. or whatever it is the fuck you're yes. talking about yes and on draw the owl well, okay. So, what do you think it is with draw the owl? I think with draw, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it is like a uh, you know, feel free to show holistic ownership, right? That that this is our, you know, you understand the charter and the north star, and like we leave it to you to go, uh, to go do what needs to be done for us to get there. Okay, that's interesting because okay. my cause, so, <laughs> how, do you, how do you draw? Well, I, so, so I, this is how I draw the owl. So the, the, it's a reference to an internet joke of here's how you draw an owl. And step one, it's got a bunch of ovals. Step two, draw the owl. And I think it's kind of like a way of saying that we are expected to be self self reliant, um, and we are we are are venturing into the unknown. We're solving problems and we can't wait for someone to give us so much structure as to show us how to solve the problem so that sounds like autonomy yeah i, I don't think i don't think you're saying something uh, or at least i don't mean something different than what you're saying certainly yeah i i've been interpreted draw the owl as you know make progress in the absence of a map right um you know don't freeze but but push forward and it actually 
Yeah, I actually liked it the first time I heard it because it echoed a piece of advice that that I got on my very, very first day of working in this industry, which was whatever you do, do something. Which I think is great. No, actually, I, that's the thing, Tom. Like, I don't actually disagree with the sentiment. And I, my inference is closer to yours than Adam's and Matt's, where it is closer to resilience and forward progress in the absence of navigable terrain than it is around autonomy per se. But I don't know. I, I think what is although even that even that could be bad if the something that you do ends well ends up <laughs> in the case of Meta uh, uh, disrupt uh, disrupting democracy. I mean, sure, I mean all these things can obviously be, but I, I don't think that that, that particular ethos is necessarily I, I, wrong. I just think it's mislabeled, and I think it's like you, you want to be really clear about labeling these things, and especially when you are laying them down. And I think you've got to lay them down early. I mean, I think that this is where we kind of wanted to at least get to. I, again, Adam, I don't want to spend all the time on Meta, but um, <laughs> the, cause I, the, the kind of the question was, when do you lay down your, how do you establish an engineering culture? And I think it may be worth defining terms a little bit um, around culture versus values versus principles, because I think these things all get a bit conflated. Is that? Well, one yeah. question, but I, so I'd love to, I, I think that'd be a great kind of lexicon to lay out, but I also wonder, you, you keep talking about engineering culture. And I was wondering if that is an intentional distinction from company culture or, or just in a kind of a, a metonymy there. It's a, 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 okay. So truthfully, I meant it a little bit as a double entendre. I, I uh, now that ah, mm, uh, you are, is it the culture of engineering or are we actually engineering the culture? Are, are we culture engineers? Are, are we right. all culture engineers? So I, I did need a, as a little bit of a double entendre. I think that uh, in, in tech, engineering culture affects company culture so much that, and I feel like that's, that, that's the culture that I really know best. But so, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's a, that's a non-answer, I guess, to the question. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, and trying to, did you want to get in here with it um, uh, before we define terms? Yes, yes. So I, uh, can you guys hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So uh, I have this uh, question. So uh, uh, sometimes the values of some companies are so good that the next generation might, let's say, quote-unquote, copy. For example, on the Oxide uh, website, you would see values that come from Sun Microsystems. Um, how, like, uh, do you think that's a good thing? Like, for example, let's say if I copied the Oxide values, which is, like, copied from the Sun, but not because we are there, but we are planning to go there. Is that, like, a good influence for younger companies to learn from the companies that they are inspired by? Yes, I mean, that's my uh, my kind of one word answer to that is there are the, the important thing about values is that they are true, not that they are unique or novel. And in fact, I think actually the drive to novelty is what kind of gets you to draw the owl when it's like you actually values are we're talking about about the the, the oldest elements of getting along as people and doing things together. Like this stuff has been around for a long, long time. And you should always, I think, t look for history for those good ideas that you can pull forward. So I, yes, I think so. Adam, what do you think? Well, 
So my my two word answer is yes, maybe, and it gets to what you had just said, Brian, which is it's it's fine to like crib someone else's values as long as they really are your values, right? Like so, uh, you know, I like oxides values. Um, I, I think it'd be fine to take those and steal them, but are those really reflective of your values? And you know, or to what degree are they aspirational? And maybe that's fine too. Um, but you know, are those are the values of another company also your values directly and, th- and those of your, your colleagues and your co-founders and, and whomever. Uh, and it's fine to sort of start from a collection of values that you think are right. And then, you know, order them and rank them and consider other ones that maybe aren't reflected. Um, and, and how, you know, how those might apply or not. See, see my team will be very happy listening to the recording of this because they're like, well, we, 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 we've always been inspired but by, but, um, by what these guys do, but is it okay if we copy them and change them a bit on our language? I'm like, well, well um, good thing I can ask that. And, 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 hopefully, and hopefully they would say yes, and uh, we will try our best to reflect those values also uh, in reality, not only on the website. Yeah, I think absolutely. I, and I, I mean, please, honestly, I think that it is, um, it's great to hear that, that um, those values resonate to the degree that, and you know, just what Adam said, people should take them and as a template and modify them a bit. Um, I mean, certainly we've done that. I mean, the oxides values come from lots of different sources, uh, including actually Amazon. You know, I give Amazon grief for the, 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 the 14 leadership principles um, but there's some really good ones in there. And honestly, like our thriftiness is I, I, I admire Amazon. I got great admiration for Amazon's frugality. Um, the, and Tom, I don't know, you probably have a, I do have a complicated relationship with Amazon's frugality. I know that most folks at Amazon are like, uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, you know, I was kind of the enforcer for a long time of the frugality when it comes oh. to the technology footprint. So, um, you know, it, it, it it's, uh, kind of very fundamental, very much from the beginning. And uh, it was really was about survival. Uh, yeah, interesting. In the early days. And, uh, I, you know, secondly, I'm, I'm all for the reuse of other values because, frankly, you know, companies spend a lot of time thinking about and debating these. So if you're starting out, uh, Anthony, with, you know, I think it's worth sort of looking at what, you know, Oxide and Twilio and Amazon and Stripe and so on have done with respect to, trying to document their culture and values and seeing what you might be able to reuse because a lot of, of thought has gone into that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was going yeah, to some someday after things go horribly wrong, your lawyers will be issuing DMCA takes them on <laughs> the, the values. <laughs> we, should, we should put those in a, in an open source repo because like we certainly are right. have a big commitment to yeah, open what, source. What, What's your value license? That's right. That's right. Well, well, okay. So I'm glad, Tom, I'm glad you asked. So we're moving to a common core model. So um, for <laughs> GPL values, <laughs> exactly. This this uh, this does not affect most companies that are using our values. Just oh, so I want you, you to know. Oh, you want support for those values? <laughs> then you've right. got to buy the the proprietary license. Exactly. Um, no, I. I I mean, countries work that way too, right? I mean, when a new country is born, they take their constitution as a copy from another country that they're, they, they have a history with or inspired by, and they continue doing it, continue building their constitution, for example, based on that. I, I think it Absolutely. not only co- comes to companies, but also countries. 
It absolutely does, and the, the certainly the in in America, the, the the kind of the foundation principles in both the Constitution, but especially the Declaration, come from other were borrowed from other countries, and then and kind of pulled together, and I think a novel way, but certainly have inspired other countries as well. And this is all like this is good stuff, right? Like we want to share. Humans should share the good stuff, and they should, this is definitely good stuff. Um, it, Ian, I want to get one, your question. One more thing, yes. Brian. Go ahead. But, yeah. You know, another consideration with respect to you know putting down and capturing you know your values, your culture, and your brand is that you really need to think about them as quick drying cement, and uh, you have a limited time to like propagate across the the company even in your early days that this is what they are. Yes. Uh, and if you don't do that, uh, you maybe will end up being stuck with the wrong ones or stuck with none. Yes. And so, Tom, I wanted to, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about is because I know for us, we set the values in clearly that had been like a lifetime of lived experience leading up to it, but it was basically 45 minutes. And I think if you are debating values, whatever you're debating is not a shared value because you are, it's already too late for whatever that value is. And not everyone needs to share all values, but that may not be a, a shared value. So Tom, I'm very curious about that because I don't know the history of the, of the leadership principles. And just so I, I, I think I've said this to you before, my big problem with the leadership principles is not the principles per se, because I think they're by and large like pretty good. Uh, it's what they inspired in other companies, which is no fault of Amazon's. But when did those? When were those written down inside of Amazon? Was that pretty early? Uh, it was about. It wasn't that early, actually. It was about um, maybe I'd say two thousand or two thousand one by wow. uh, Robin Andrulevich, uh, who was um, leading HR at the time. Uh, in sort of, so so, and a lot of them were written down and, and, and talked about, but they weren't captured in one place um, uh, until then. And uh, she spent a bunch of time with a number of leaders within the company to really try and get to what did this mean for you? Plus, like, what are some examples of it? Like, what does frugality really mean? What does customer obsession actually mean? And what are some examples of people yeah. going that kind of extra mile and and so on? Uh, so it was it was kind of a journey. So at that point... Obviously, the company was like six years old. Um, and I think that's leaving it very, very late. That's and, very, very late. Yeah, and, that you is know, I yeah, interesting. Like the, you know, quit drawing cement with respect to certain dimensions of company foundation being like values, culture, and brand. The brand one was the one that certainly Jeff was most worried about with respect to what the company might get pigeonholed as. And so, you know, hmm. uh, we were doing a pretty lousy job, to be quite honest, of um, just selling books uh, in um, June of 1998 when we launched music and a couple of months later video. But uh, there was a very strong sense of urgency to not get pigeonholed just as a, you know, an online bookseller. And so uh, we pushed into other categories in order to uh, sort of capture a window of opportunity with respect to what, uh, what the brand would mean to people and how people would perceive uh, the domain name and the brand uh, so that, you know, too much time didn't go by uh, with it just being about books. Um, the, oh, it, yeah. 
Well, it's quite interesting that the, 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 I mean, the name itself re reflects that that aspiration, right? I mean, the, because at the time, the other online booksellers all had book in their name somewhere, and Amazon, like, very clearly did not. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons the name didn't have books in there. But but even so, um, you know, uh, we almost left it too late to get into other categories. And in doing... Um, uh, you know, user testing, you know, years later into 2000, 2001, 2002, um, you know, you would, would watch people like navigating through and getting things they want and gravitating back to books. And, um, uh, you know, w we had a cross-selling program where like if you had never bought anything but books, when you landed, you know, on, on the domain at first, you would see no books. You would see like iPods <laughs> and you know, head, headphones, all sorts of stuff. And I think this explains some of my Amazon shopping experiences. Really? Yeah, but it, it, you know, and so people were like, why is this, this isn't relevant to me? I never buy headphones here. And that was the whole point. <laughs> we're showing you them because you'd never bought anything but books. And, and, and we actually asked, sat down with like real life in the flesh users and said, so um, would you think about buying headphones or would you think about buying, you know, uh, whatever, you know, um, an mp3 player on this website and it's like they were like no I, I mean amazon doesn't sell mp3 players this is they only sell books and this was someone who was like in front of a screen with a selection of mp3 players showing well it just and, yeah uh, the, 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 it's yeah. that quick dry cement as you as totally. described yeah. yeah so so when they went that's i did not realize that the, that the principles were in place so relatively late um and it i mean it sounds like it was a, a pretty deliberate process to figure out what how what are the values that we're actually living as opposed to it sounds like it sounds like they were they were as much uh descriptional as they were aspirational in terms of the, of the process of like finding concrete examples is that a, is am i over inferring there yeah well they um they were descriptional because you know um even before they were, in, you know, all, all 14 or whatever the initial number, I think, at, you know, at that time it was 12 and it's, it grew a little bit and it just grew in recent years again. But um, they were written down to the degree that um, as you like wrote your performance self-evaluation and, uh, you know, or, or interviewed candidates, they were in mind with respect to how you thought about how you were performing how you wanted incompetent people to be able to perform and competencies around each of them was assigned to each of the interviewers on an interview loop, for example. Interesting. Yeah. So I, well, I do think that, that I, something that Amazon did do that I certainly, we do at Oxide. We, I mean, values are absolutely a lens for everything we do. Uh, I don't think we've, we have not weaponized them into performance reviews, but we definitely uh, view them as a lens, certainly for hiring. And I think that part of the reason that you know, Tommy talked about that quick drawing cement, part of the reason you've got to get them established early is because it will it, it will affect who you hire and who's attracted to the company, uh, who you are attracted to as a company. And then those values become like massive force multipliers when you are now because I mean, I mean, Adam, I, I mean, you and I obviously look through a ton of materials um, for folks interested in working at Oxide. I mean, I would say. 70% are attracted to oxide because of the values. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a big, big number. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point, oh, you know, Brian, I, I kicked you off the, the, the rail, the train of defining these terms, 
So maybe uh, maybe you should get back to that, and uh, and then we can get to Ian, who's had his hand up for a while. <laughs> exactly, and the, the, whose blood is training from his virtual hand up there. Yeah, you know, we'll get to you in a sec. The um, so yeah, just to, in terms of terms here, I do differentiate, and when I say I, I think I mean we as speakers of English. Sure. Differentiate. Okay. Oh, 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 gotcha. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> exactly between uh, principles and values, and. Principles being, uh, I, I do feel these get conflated a lot, but principles are absolutes. So um, principles are the, you know, and at Oxide, it's honesty, integrity, decency. Like these are the absolutes, no matter, no matter what, these are the things that we are always going to abide by. And to me, it's important to have those absolutes in part because you're sending the message to everybody, to the future company. If you are at this company and you see something that violates these principles, that is a, that's against the company. That's not what we want, and you should be you should say something. Um, and that is how you prevent some of these kind of institutional problems that we've seen in so many different companies. So the principles I think are important, but they are different from the values in that they are absolutes or should be absolutes. And if you treat them as absolutes and you keep that number, you got to keep that number small because they're going to be absolutes versus values are relative importance. And I do think that one of the things, and Adam, I don't know what, what your take is on this. I actually really like the fact that we have explicitly talked about things being in tension, that, that, that they, the, the values are not absolutes. And you can take, every value can be taken to an extreme. Principles cannot be taken to an extreme. You can't take integrity to an extreme. You can't take honesty to an extreme. You can take, as I'm sure maybe, although Tom sounds like you were on the enforcement end of it, but you can take thriftiness or frugality to an extreme, right? You can take rigor to an extreme. You can take urgency to an extreme. Yeah. And in particular, the, the enumeration of the values that we have create a great shorthand for being able to discuss uh, topics as these values come into conflict, saying, you know, this, you know, uh, an obvious one is obviously, uh, you know, rigor and urgency. And you can talk about that tension and, and then figure out how we, you know, how it all sorts out and, you know, whether urgency or rigor wins in a particular instance. Without that language, you're kind of grasping without that vocabulary to articulate why something would be prioritized or, or, or precisely how these are in tension. Or, or why you are upset with someone that you broadly agree with. Like, yeah. why, why are you and I at loggerheads, even though I think we agree on lots of things? It's like, oh, because... You and I both agree that these these values are important, but you the relative importance of these two right now is different for the two of us. And I think that uh, the fact that these values can be intention, um, uh, that that that's a potential danger with just copying another company's values, because the values that are important for say. A, a a company like Oxide that's trying to solve solve a you know, hard problem of of you know, integrated hardware and software might I mean rigor for instance might not be as important for a company that's that's trying to well you know, develop a web application you know, a, a you know, web application that uh, I mean the uh, obviously whatever kind of software you're developing it 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 should be robust, but but in some cases, depending on the problem that you're trying to solve, urgency might be uh, more important. Sure, yeah, which is exactly what we're trying to capture. Ian, you've had your hand up forever, so I want to get to you there. Sorry. 
Yeah, no worries, mate. Um, yeah, I, I, going going back earlier, someone mentioned the constitution, and I think that it's kind of interesting that uh, there is some parallels to the engineering world, where like um, not everything can be captured in a, a company culture, and with the company values, there's something that lives above that, which is like engineering ethics, where there are like you know the IEEE and other organizations have a published guide for ethics that you know all engineers should be abiding by regardless of what industry or company or whatever they're in you know there is some some documentation out there of how people should comport themselves in in the world as a as a professional that's a that's a great point um and i would actually put in a quick plug for uh, the acm recently redid its its code of ethics tom i don't know have you looked at the acms the, the, the redone ethics yes yeah i think i thought they were it's quite good yeah, a vast improvement. And I think that I can't speak for IEEE, but ACM's historical code of ethics w- didn't really understand what the word ethics means, I don't think. I mean, so like, like one of their things was like, you know, it is the software engineer's responsibility to, you know, always have complete design documentation. You're like, ah, uh, that's not a... Is that, is that an ethical transgression? Ethical? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ! I've been like I've been crooked my entire career. I've been the, but the 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 re, they, they so they redid this completely. What was it, Tom? Maybe two years ago or something like that. Yeah, they're bad. I think. Yep. Yeah. And I love the way they redid it in terms of like really kind of recasting it as. Um, I mean, thinking about responsibility to society, about about abiding by laws, and then asking questions. I think because I actually, the, the I mean, it's, a, it's an extremely important point that there are sh- there should be absolutes that trump any company. And if you feel that you are being asked to do something that is unethical, um, you should act on that. Like you and you know, there are going to be the, the exact kind of course of action is going to depend on the situation. But we have seen people who. I feel haven't acted on that and, and it's been real, it's been really problematic as a result. So yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I, sorry, you know, I think you're trying to get another point in there before I jumped in on the yeah. ACM code of ethics. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's uh, always good to be able to look at how other uh, organizations are evolving those ethics over time. I think that IEEE has changed in the early nineties in response to uh, a, a, a member who wrote about, um, needing to participate in bribery in order to uh, continue their company's survival in in some kind of, I think it was a DC or, or similar sort of environment where they were like, well, it's unethical to, to uh, bribe officials, but also I kind of need to bribe officials in order to survive. So is this unethical? And they had to like come out with new <laughs> guidelines as a result of that. Yeah, interesting. Um, the other thing that I would note is a... Uh, 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 from a culture versus values perspective, uh, 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 the founder of uh, one of the co-founders of Atlassian, Mike Cannon Brooks, uh, stated the culture is what happens when the boss isn't around. Um, yes. Yeah. Which is is kind of a uh, an observation of the fact that it is like how people behave when they don't think they're being uh, evaluated or watched, um, which I think is uh, an interesting insight. And the other the other piece there is like for for your point on honesty, I have. You know, Atlassian has a set of values, and I have seen some of those taken to extreme. And one of them uh, is kind of similar to honesty. And I think there is a bit of a line between, you know, honesty, brutal honesty, and being a bit of a dick. And like, <laughs> yes. Sometimes yeah. you can you can definitely walk that line. And I think some people need to get reined in where it's like, look, I understand we told you to be honest, 
but also there is a human on the other end of the screen and like you you need to consider you know exactly how you uh you know communicate the the honest uh, feedback that you, that I, you totally have. totally and so one of the things that we ask for people who are coming to oxide we ask them to uh, to really talk about their their career in terms of the oxide values, when have they been exhibited in their career? When have they been violated in their career? Have you dealt with it? And then the question that we throw in there at the last possible second, which is, uh, take two of oxide's values and uh, describe how they came in tension for you and how you resolved it. And it's been really interesting to look at this matrix. And Ian, just to your point, the the, the, the rigor versus urgency is the classic. And we get a lot of those. And by the way, if you're contemplating applying to Oxide, don't, you don't feel you need to be original. Um, the if, it, Rigor and urgency is a classic trade-off. And there's a lot that, that to be said about it. The one that, uh, candor and empathy, when people talk about candor and empathy being intention, you're like, Go on, <laughs> because we have <laughs> we we have had people who applied in. Yeah, candor and empathy were were intention because I was working with this guy who was like a total totally incompetent fool, and I told them that, and you know they didn't want to hear it. And all of a sudden, I was hurting their feelings. It's like mm, okay, just good to they, know, right? Good to know. And I do think Adam, there there are no points for originality, but I don't think you got the memo on that one because, as I recall, you were really gunning for originality. In, in your oxide materials. Well, how about this? I, I, I realized I did kind of land on my own unique square there as I, uh, I, I contrasted thriftiness and courage. But I, I you know, and, and I was kind of gunning for original, but I would also say that it, I think it's- It was very good, actually. Yeah. It's an interesting question and uh, thinking, and, and I think the, you know, as I mentioned, you know, rigor and urgency, and you, you mentioned coming to attention frequently. So I was trying to think of things because I found it to be such a, a curious introspect, a point of introspection to, to find, you know, ways in which these unexpected or these values might unexpectedly um, come into tension. So talk and, about the, the, the thrifty discourse. So I'm, I'm teasing you about it, but I actually thought your example was yeah, so, uh, And so, it comes up a lot. So before I joined Oxide, I, I founded a company and we had been, um, you know, I am a, I really embraced thriftiness in like lunatic ways. Um, just, uh, you know, like for example, I take out a bunch of books from the library on my Kindle and then put them in airplane mode and then like leave my Kindle in airplane mode for a year after those books have been returned rather than like paying 10 bucks to a poor author to like buy their work. For example, not all. Um, might that might not, might that not be in tension with the principle of, of uh, integrity? Exactly. That's right. Listen, uh, can, you, can you mute yourself, Matt? Look at this. Exactly. Is, you're a guest here. No, you're this um, So, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, to a fault, I'm thrifty. And, um, you know, there's a time in the company when we really needed to, you know, ramp up not just like one person in marketing, but really a marketing team. And, uh, it, there was a moment where I just needed to bite the bullet and embrace, you know, and, and show some courage and not, you know, dip a toe in the water, but actually uh, make a significant enough investment where the experiment could be meaningful. So it was it was a real, you know, these these values were really intention and I was really wrestling over this and we, we got the marketing team and uh, and and it was all, you know, a happy story in the end, shall we say. <laughs> but but I think that, that the, this is something that we and, and Tom, you must have seen this a lot at Amazon where you've got, I mean, you presumably are trying to counterbalance frugality 
with ultimately, I mean, you're, you're not trying to be so frugal that, that you're ineffective. Uh, that must have been a constant tension you were navigating as the frugality. No, they, and, um, you know, the all values are not created equal and, and the same applies to leadership principles there. And so, you know, hmm. uh, customer obsession stands way ahead and shoulders above, you know, all the others, frankly, and ownership is really high as well. And frugality uh, falls to the people who control, you know, cost centers, uh, but quite often the vast majority of employees are like, yeah, right. That sounds great. You know, but I need my, I need my servers or whatever it is. Okay. So that's yeah, actually uh, really you, interesting that yeah. they, because well, certainly that has been my inference that all the, those leadership principles are not created equal. And my inference has been, which sounds like it's accurate, that customer obsession, if Amazon has to choose between frugality and customer obsession, they will choose customer obsession. If they need to choose between really any of those values. I mean, it's part of the reason it's that a, is that a fair read? Totally, yeah. And another thing to think about uh, for value-setting people in this space is that, um, you know, it, while you may make an effort to hire uh, such that people uh, have coverage with respect to alignment with your values, uh, and you try to anticipate and head off uh, certainly, you know, outright conflicts with them, um, there are lots of people who are potential candidates to work for you who haven't had an opportunity to uh, live in a world where they could exercise alignment with those values. And so uh, we ended up putting substantial effort into figuring out uh, which of the values are more learnable and which are significantly less learnable. Because if oh, something, you know, yeah. uh, for example, you know, you take Amazon, you know, a natural place to go fishing for employees would be Microsoft, right? Um, and you just don't, you don't expect frugality from someone who works at a software company where there are 70% operating margins, uh, but they can, sh but it turns out that frugality is eminently learnable once people see examples of it in action. And so, um, in, in learning that, you know, after, after a while people get frugality and they understand it and, and, and can deal with the guardrails around it, then you don't need to actually pay a lot of attention to that. On the other hand, there are other things that are really difficult for people to learn. And so if you see some red flags on a, on a loop with respect to them, you pay attention to them because you're, you, you know, you're going to get stuck. And ownership would be a key one where um, if people don't take ownership, particularly for their mistakes or for the issues that their, their team has and, uh, and results and, you know, getting into closure on things, you know, that actually tends to be behavior that is, is not readily fixable. That is really interesting. And so one thing that we certainly uh, really lean on that's been so far so good for us, but you know, stay tuned when we're issuing DMCA takedowns for our values in Tom's dystopian future. But w one thing that is working well for us so far is having folks write down um, their, the, the way they resonate with the values. I don't think uh, Amazon, the Synology doesn't do that. But how do you assess some of these values in a conversation with a prospective hire? Like, how do you assess? Do, I presumably Amazon developed, knowing Amazon developed a rubric for it. Well, you spend all your time interviewing people, assessing people against the values. So you have to get them to present situations and talk through experiences uh, through the lens of whichever you know couple or three uh, leadership principles you happen to have assigned to you for that interview. Oh, interesting. So you get some number of principles assigned so that they yeah. would kind of dole out it, it, on a on a per interview basis. In this interview, you, Tom, are going to be assessing 
frugality. Interesting. Okay. You know, and Brian, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have some colleagues who, when we interview candidates, express their feedback in terms of values. And I find that to be an, another great use of values as that shorthand and that language. Um, yeah. Rather than saying, you know, I, I, I liked them or I didn't like them or I wasn't sure they'd work out here or whatever. It gives you something much more concrete to also then compare notes with other colleagues. It does. And I've been kind of, I've been resisting the temptation to, uh, I think, formalize any kind of scoring because I really want to refrain from kind of weaponizing values. But I also definitely in my own head do when I'm looking at someone, I am looking at, at, at their different values. And Tom, I think what you said, it's true about like all values not being created equal. Um, Cause it, even when all values are important, different values will resonate with different people to, to different degrees. And I, th- and I, I do think, cause I don't really think we've thought about like, which are these are more learnable than others. And cause I do feel that, I mean, for example, to kind of phrase, the ownership in oxide values, uh, teamwork and responsibility are both are both in, like existential for me. Like if I had someone who had g- great values elsewhere but did not exhibit teamwork and responsibility, I personally would have a hard time. I don't know. Um, so it's, you, you definitely get me have got me thinking a lot about that. Um, Simi, you've had your hand up for a while. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, well, one of the. Um, sort of early influences on my thinking about co- uh, culture in a in a bad way, unfortunately, was um, observing a process over multiple years where a company was um, a company or a board of a company recruited a turnaround CEO. Um, and and I mean, I, I guess you hire a turnaround CEO for different reasons, maybe financial or or something like that, but. Um, then observing that a pretty significant change in the behavior of individuals in, in that company and uh, perhaps consequently, uh, um, you know, their performance as a company um, and without necessarily a very large turnover of individuals within that company. And then, um, and then that turnaround CEO <sighs> meeting. Oh, um, that's brutal. And, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. right, so... So, so you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about reversion to the mean of behaviors. Um, yeah. So in other words, there was an established culture. You tried to change it. Then you left. People went back to the way they used to be. And I think that has given me a mental model of, you know, it's, it's like folks have spoken about this idea of like quick set, you know, quick, dry and concrete. Um, it's, it's, I, my idea is, or my, my conception of company culture is there is a rapidly declining degree to which you can control the, the culture within a company. Yep. Initially, you know, you get to hire all the people. Maybe later on you sit in on a bunch of interviews and, you know, you have people you trust to hire, you know, people with, with the right values. And then later on there might be some kind of, you know, you fit in or you leave kind of culture, um, which, which may act as a filter or, um, you know, um, that kind of thing. And eventually companies, you know, probably get whoever. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm feeling very jaded about the idea that company culture can be changed. I think can, it, it can it, only be established. It, it can only, I, I think you're right. I think it broadly, it, I think you're broadly right. It can only be established. And so 
I, actually, I joined. Oh, sorry. Oh, 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 yeah, hold on, Matt. Because on that note, actually, before we before we go to you, I actually want to get because on that note, Simeon. Because obviously, I grew up at Sun, and the Sun's culture was not really verbalized until it was eulogized, which is always very strange to me. That McNeely actually eulogized Sun's culture very concisely. I kick butt, have fun, didn't cheat loved our customers, changed computing forever, which I loved, and which I can now say without tearing up. Did you ever tear up at that, Adam? I was like, I actually, there were, there were years when I was like really going to break down. When I, no, I, you're, I, you're, you're much more emotional than I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm more of a true Xer. There you go. There you go. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, you're, going, uh, you're going true Xer on me. Um, but, Tom, I would love to know from your perspective, the, because you know, you're there, obviously, incredibly early. The, you know, it is, it's the four of them plus, I guess, three people I'm unaware of than you, but like the, <laughs> you, you are really, really early in the culture. How much were you reflecting that versus how much were you shaping that? Because honestly, like the more I've gotten to know you in, in the last couple of years, I view Sun's culture as a, a very much a reflection of your ethos as well. And I've got to believe that as someone who was early that you, you really helped shape it. I mean, can you talk to Sun's kind of early days from a culture perspective? Uh, probably not really. Cause I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I'm enough on the spectrum to not be really aware of a lot of interpersonal culture things. But so, so but, let, let me ask you some specific I, questions. I, 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 yeah. It's hard to, hard to uh, name particular values, but Certainly, you know, being being honest and open was a good thing. Well, so yeah, let me ask you about that in particular because Sun was open at a time when systems broadly weren't, and that must have felt like somewhat out of step with the rest of the industry. Yeah, but everyone was coming from Unix and coming from slapping together microprocessors with multibus and. Those those were open things relatively, huh? So we kind of fell into it. Well, didn't Sun do some proprietary, some more, some proprietary things though as, as well, even fairly early on? And I, I'm I'm a total outsider here, so so yeah, correct no, me if I'm I mean, wrong. I mean, but oh. uh, like the 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 windowing system, I mean, X was basically the everybody against Sun consortium, right? <laughs> Well, it, it was a little bit later, but uh, the X and News were kind of happening at the same time, and then you know prior to that, Sun had their own thing. But but so, so there, there certainly was not an open source culture uh, back then from a from any kind recognized from any kind of business point of view. There was a little bit of you know shuffling code back and forth between us and Berkeley, but that was yeah. And I don't mean in terms of open source. Because yeah. th- th- this is long before open, but I mean but, for open systems, like taking NFS and yeah. making sure that NFS worked with rival systems, for example. Right, and that 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 was not so much a value thing, but a recognition of the inherent value of of networking. And, you know, the more you know, kind of Metcalf's law: the more things you connect, the better off everyone else. Yeah, I, you know, I think that I hear what you're saying. I think you're being kind of self-effacing, honestly. I mean, I, like, I, I agree with you, but I also, and again, maybe this is just, it just maybe it all just happened by accident. But the, 
Um, you know, McNeely had the line at the end that in 30 years, he never had to hide the newspaper in shame from his children. And that was actually not true of many companies at the time. I mean, the like, son didn't really get caught up in major scandal. Right. On the other hand, we, we had the luxury of being profitable at, at age three months. That's a good point. So Interesting. Yeah. There wasn't the need to do anything shady. Right. Um, the, the, you, you kind of avoid, yeah. Well, this is this is what I tried in my with with the three kids in my own house. Try to make sure that scarcity is is the the root cause of much domestic strife. So you can <laughs> if you can assure that you don't have. So that that's that's a very uh, interesting point. That there was a yeah, certain, so a certain was yeah. The rocket was launched. We were just trying to steer the rocket. Yeah, interesting. But uh, yeah, I I mean. I think I certainly influenced the engineering culture, but how, you know how to quantify or know that. You know, I don't. I don't know how. Am I over my skis to say that that there is a? I mean, Sun obviously thought of itself as uh, very important with respect to Unix. Is it are Sun's values Unix values? Is that is is that an overreach? Um, boy, I don't know. And then there, you know, the problem is that have I ever really been outside of the Unix culture to, to draw a comparison? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, but there, there is a lot of standard stuff that Sun did where we assumed it was proprietary and would give us proprietary advantage. Um, so it wasn't all. Oh, for sure. It, you know, it just was never dirty. Right, At least right. the, the and and there was actually a really interesting moment. And Adam, I'm not sure if you were next to me or not when this happened. When uh, was, uh, I was talking to a senior vice president, it was kind of in the hallway, and someone had mentioned something that basically amounted to kind of an industry rumor that they'd heard, but it was more specific than that. They had heard something about basically an upcoming quarter from a rival, and. There, it was this really interesting moment where he just turned on him and said really pretty sharply, you shouldn't know that, and you definitely shouldn't be telling anyone else that, and I don't want to hear anything else like that. And it, it kind of like took – everyone kind of was – was kind of took me aback at least, and – it, it, and I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it was. It was, I mean, it, it definitely sent a message in terms of like the company again did not find itself in scandal in part because it didn't really tolerate folks that were cheating, or so it felt anyway. Uh, and Trenick, you uh, get your hand up. Yeah. So um, uh, back to the original tweet when all of this discussion started happening, can we uh, say that a company's business model reflects to its values? Like I know that Meta had uh, uh, on all hands that they are changing their values, but without changing their business model, can values be changed? Because like if, if you change the words, but you're still doing the same thing as a company that's what i'm trying to understand like like your business model and your values are uh, are connected to each other that's an interesting question um and i think i mean because certainly your business model is also going to reflect those values and i think that the the dilemma that meta finds itself in is its business model is uh not necessarily oriented to its customers best interests 
which I think is the, th- this is the, the thing that the Amazon has always done so well at is acting as in that customer obsession in its own customer's best interests. And I think that this is a big challenge for Facebook and for Meta. And uh, yeah, I don't know how you, I mean, it's a good point. I don't know, Adam, what's your, what's your take? Well, you know, the, what, what this got me thinking is that, you know, while we have a list of 15 values, there are probably other things that we value. And, and I, I have a hard time coming up with them because the list is so exhaustive. But one can imagine <laughs> if you had a more modest list of values, there would be additional unenumerated values. Well, actually, I'll give you an example, Brian. I think one of the things that we value that is not on the list, that is on other people's list, is creativity. Hmm. And, and maybe you could squint and find it between the lines of some of the other ones. But I'd, I'd say it's sort of not on there. Just And if maybe you'll permit me for this. But I could imagine in the future that some of these unstated but lived values kind of rise in significance where they start getting written down. And it's not a change of values. It may be a change of emphasis and a change of articulation. And to some degree, also a change of aspiration, saying that we want to be more of this thing that we aren't. Um, and you may have also de-emphasized values, although, you know, there, there are ones that I feel like you would, you would feel pretty shitty about checking off the list to make space for something else. But uh, I don't know that you're, you'd be changing values necessarily, but rather changing the articulation and the priority and the emphasis of your values. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think that we would, and I do think that you, this is kind of what I was saying earlier, that you can have previously shared but unarticulated values and you can, if you want to expand your values to include this thing that should have been there all along, that's something that you can conceivably do. But I think it's still super tricky. And like creativity as a, as a kind of a concrete example, like there would be, that would be, I mean, there's a reason to me anyway, that that's not necessarily an oxide value. That would, that, that could very well be a great value at another company. Yeah. Even though I think we're very creative engineers. I don't think uh, Absolutely. And to be clear, I'm not like I'm not like saying we we missed by not having it on there. I'm just saying it's one that one could imagine on there. Totally. Totally. The ingredients of it, Adam, flow from curiosity and courage, which are you know very central oxide values. I think so. Um, it, it's very it's very hard to pursue anything in a truly creative way without having uh, substantial curiosity and courage. Uh, I, one thing I yep. did want to ask Brian while I've got the floor for a minute is. Um, Urgency is an oxide value. It, it, it feels like there's a little bit of backpedaling in how it's described. You know, they, the little description ends with, urgency should not be conflated with pace. It's important to move deliberately rather than hastily. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, how committed is this company to urgency? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, no, that, that is very deliberate. And it is urgency, is it, it is very deliberately designed to stay in tension because we could ship a faster thing by making a bunch of different decisions that would be the wrong decisions for the the long-term future. So, I mean, we could ship, I mean, we, we could rebadge a, a Dell box, be a lot faster, be a lot less work on a board, but it would that would be urgency trumping everything else. And we, and to the point where it, we got every reason to believe that that would not be a successful product because we will have trumped all urgency will have triumphed over everything. And indeed, I think part of the problem and part of the reason that we do the kind of, I don't think it's, I don't view it as backpedaling. I view it as more kind of as, as qualifying that urgency 
part of the, the, the pickle that the industry is in is it is as prior at every step, it is prioritized urgency over rigor. And now we have these systems that have accreted so much and we're trying to deliberately blow through that. And I think that we also, it, I mean, I think a difference between us and a company that would, I, I mean, we also don't, don't talk about velocity as I said, velocity is for projectiles. I'm not huge, a huge fan of velocity as a, as a, a description of software engineers, but I know other people are. Um, I think that we make a mistake as a domain when we don't keep that intention with these other attributes. And I think that that's what that's trying to express is that this is not meant to be an absolute. And this does not mean that if something takes longer than something else, that the thing that takes longer is necessarily wrong. It's like, need more detail. Like, what are we talking about? What is it exactly? Is that, um, how's that for a non-answer, Tom? Uh, it, it, it helps. It certainly helps. I mean, when uh, sometimes you see a, you know a label or a, a value, and you if it isn't clear what it says, you'll fill it with what you think it it should mean, and um, that can unfortunately lead people down wrong paths. Sometimes, I mean, to me, urgency is with respect to an engineering culture. A lot of it is about um, trying to. Um, trying to have an absence of gatekeeping and also um, a commitment to not engage in over-analysis and overthinking and, and having a willingness to make decisions even if you have like 70% of the information and if you waited like another six or 12, or 12 months, you'd get 100%, but it'd be too late, you know? Being, it, yeah. it, it really comes down to being decisive uh, in including in ambiguous circumstances because frankly, you know, we're always making decisions with a moderate amount of ambiguity. Yeah. And this is actually something I, I love in the Amazon principles is that the, I can't remember which principle it's talked under, but that most decisions are reversible. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they, because we, we had, didn't call that out explicitly, but I certainly, it certainly has occurred to me many times over the, you know, as we've been building this thing about, is this reversible what we're talking about? And if it is, let's enshrine getting a prototype here and let's not succumb to analysis paralysis. Yeah, that, and that's in bias for action. The, and there's bias for action, that's bias for action. Yes. Two-way door concept. Yes. And bias for action, I like, I, I trust that from Amazon. That's one of these that is a bit of a dangerous one because I feel like bias for action was a gateway drug to Uber's Let Builders Build, which is where I feel like Uber took what I think is actually a somewhat nuanced value position from Amazon uh, ethos, and they they uh, obliterated the the nuance. And when I saw Let Builders Build, the, the thing that makes me nervous about that is where you have um, you've disembodied analysis, where analysis has now been, um, been subverted or subordinated. Um, that gets me super, super nervous because the biggest mistakes I've seen in my life have been when people were refusing to do analysis that they should have done. And that's where I get like the, it's like, so I actually I like the bias for action as a, as a way of expressing it. It's just that it's a bias for action. It is not action over analysis for in all situations. 
Actually, I'd love to get, I, I don't know if uh, I got to get Matt up here, see if Matt is going to, Matt's like, are you going to make me defend Uber's values? Um, I'm not Matt, but the, uh, I think, I think I actually, I asked Matt Ranney, who was, who was, was at Uber. I remember asking him at one point about like, how did you kill like, these values look terrible? It's like, yeah, I just pretty much ignored them. They were pretty bad because <laughs> Uber had 14 values mimicking it, the, Amazon's 14 values, 14 leadership principles. And they're just very, very cringy. But that's what, that's what happens to most values, right? That they, they mostly get ignored. I mean, either they get talk, talked about and nurtured and they actually are the language that you use for your culture and for, for communication or they fall by the wayside. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that they either become, they, they either become like everything or they become nothing. Is that a fair? Well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I've, in a very unextra moment uh, uh, to, to contrast with, with my earlier statement, I was doing a lot of like um, real estate tours for office space a bunch of years ago. And I came to one office and they had their values written on the wall. And my inner cynic was like, well, you know, that's dumb. But then thinking about it more, it's like, well, maybe it's not so dumb. Like maybe there's, there is a, uh, an excessively earnest piece that I could never live up to myself. But the reason you write the values on the wall is so that people see them. Like it is so that people read them. Or because you need ISO compliance, <laughs> right? There are two reasons. Right? So the I worked at at QNX, as you know, the optics company in Canada. While they were doing some ISO certification and making the mistake of certifying the entire company as opposed to like merely its manufacturing or what have you, so they're trying to get ISO certification for for software development, which is like oh, this is not good. So they all all of a sudden one day all these placards show up. And the, the placard above my cube was, uh, do what you say, say what you do, prove that it works. Which actually is like, as these things go, it's like not that cringy. That's like that. yeah, So that's why you have that tattoo. Finally, I understand. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like that that's not that cringy. But then the, the co-founder of the company walks by my cube. And this is, I, this is like, I kind, I'm kind of like losing some of my innocence here as I'm realizing that you can be the co-founder of a company and have actually no idea what's going on in your own company. So I have assumed that like, oh, you're obviously, you're the CEO. Like these things are up because you have ordered them up. But he's looking at the placard. He's as surprised as I am. And he's reasoning he's like, do what, do what you say, say what you do, prove that it works. Whatever happened to do what you want, say what you feel like and blame someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, wait a minute, are those... Are those the Cunix values that you just said? Are you <laughs> drunk right now? <laughs> oh, I love Dan. That's uh, Dan Dodge. I, I, I love Dan. Dan Dodge, Gordon Bell were the, were the founders oh. of Cunix. They were, they were terrific. Oh. Great engineers. At a company I was at, we, we went through a big process of inferring values. This is a company I joined where they had a bunch of um, like almost Jack Handyisms written on printed, <laughs> um, laminated posters that I that I just sort of chose to ignore, just because that was the only reasonable approach. Do we um, have a millennial with whom we could do a Jack Handyism check? Is are you allowed to make that reference? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think so. I think nope, that, I, I don't I, see I, any emoji. Exactly. No pulse. Exactly. Jack Handy. It was a there's a there's a bit on Saturday Night Live for. What felt to us like our entire childhood, but I'm sure in retrospect was like three months in 1985, of deep thoughts by Jack Handy. So they would have, and Adam, you must have a before you get into the, the Jack Handyisms that you had at, at at your employer. 
you must have some favorite deep thoughts. Uh, I, I don't actually. I, I <gasps> don't put me on the spot. Oh my god. Okay. Well, then can I give you my favorite please, deep thoughts? Please, Brian, do you have any deep thoughts that are your favorite? Oh my god. These, so, and they would always do these before going to commercial, and they were always they, you know Saturday Night Live is uh, is obviously hit and miss, but it's always had its best when it's not laughing at its own jokes, which it did not. And so they had you know deep thoughts by Jack Candy. Um, if if trees could scream, would we still cut them down? I bet we would if they screamed all the time and for no good reason. <laughs> Which, to my fourteen-year-old brain, was just like absolutely hilarious. So, so, uh, so the the Jackianisms around the office were a little more on point than that, but like only a little bit. So you ignored them, and then we went through some navel gazing exercise about values, and then uh, true to form, the CEO kind of took that draft and deleted it and came up with the values of, and, and printed on major posters, uh, unveiled at an all hands, candor, creativity, and sharp and fast. And so, <laughs> and to, which, to which our, 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 oh. our CMO was like, are you saying sharp and fast? And he said, no, 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 sharpen, Ian, fast and sharpen fast said, like i have this knife and i need it to get sharpened that's right, right and, now and, and i think the cmo just like sort of like oh lucille bluth like was like i don't understand what you're saying and i choose not to ask any follow-up oh so, you would you, you given that we only have three of these in the spirit of candor may i offer you in the spirit <laughs> of, of this new value of candor may i offer you well, my thoughts on well, sharp and fast candor, candor really only went in one direction, just to be really clear. <laughs> um, but, uh, but but then we did what what people do with the things written on the wall like that, which is we mostly ignored them. Ignore them. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? We'll make fun of them. I mean, you can. You, oh, you know, yeah. Can, pardon uh, me. We, when we, <laughs> I mean, in terms of our day to day, we ignored them. In terms of like lunchtime and happy hour, absolutely. I also just like sharp and fast. I kind of like the idea that it's like Toys R Us and like sharp and apostrophe fast. <laughs> yeah, this is where uh, where where, where I, I was the CTO and my 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 our, our former colleague was the VP of engineering, and we sort of went back and figured out how we were going to explain to the engineering team that they could ignore this, because uh, the sharp and fast in particular was intended to be like uh, sort of like a figure it out or get the fuck out was, was sort of the notion of sharp and fast. And, and to commemorate the occasion, just to add to it, we, we got everyone in the spirit of thriftness, also a value unstated. We got everyone in the company, these um, like $5 knife sharpeners that were actually pretty, pretty good. Uh, but everyone in the company got them with a little sticker that said sharp and fast on it. Um, oh, oh, please. This really happened. Have this. Do you I, don't. Use... I don't. It did not survive the moves. How? What? Because, I... because I had some complicated feelings about my former employer and didn't like keep every okay. little piece of trash that they gave me. Yes. Can you give? I will take that trash. You know, I'll take that trash. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I know that there are five hundred of them out there, so I'm sure we can find one for you. The, the... I, I, I want to be that CEO with. 500 engineers with sharp knives. No, 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 no. Well, well, we later on, no, I mean, this is, this is all, like also no joke. For my five year anniversary of the company, they did give me a knife. But because there, because there was a plan to oust me 
They didn't actually. Give it, they didn't actually give it to me. I, I, a colleague smuggled it out after I left the company. Yes, is that you? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, this Did is it, also true. I just, I mean, I, I when you're giving out corporate tchotchkes around your values, it, it, it just it feels to me like there's there's some cognitive dissonance there that I'm having a hard oh, time. I got, I got, you know what? I gotta get off this. But I, the other tchotchke I have, no joke, is a baseball bat with my name on it. Like there's sort of a a, a mob affect to, to these gifts. I realize a baseball bat with your name, like like untouchable style, like yeah. Al Capote. Yeah, they, yeah. Everyone loves baseball, right? I, everyone loves baseball. Team, yeah. team, team. Yeah. <laughs> also, a reference that we can make. I have some weird. Yeah, but the brass knuckles are more portable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was for the ten year of service. I didn't make it there. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that's very strange. That that is very so. So, Adam, you're describing being in an org and as an engineering leader when you've got these values being rolled out. You're effectively telling your org, like, "Look, just get back to work. And just try yeah. to like, yeah, yeah, just try Absolutely. to stop thinking about these." And we had like our own collection of articulated values that were much more pedestrian, like uh, sort of like uh, aspects of engineering kinds of values that were written down, that were things that we interviewed for, and were things we discussed. Um, but we, you know, we tried to maintain a more sane or sensible engineering subculture. Yeah, and I do, but it not written down. I would assume. I mean, uh, uh, written down not as subversive, but written down of like yes and. Right. Interesting. I mean, I certainly feel like before. It, 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 I mean, at Sun again, I feel like it was a eulogy as opposed to when when it really should have been much more guiding than that. And definitely at joint, we did not, we did not necessarily have, we didn't have values written down and it showed when fractures appeared and you're always like, Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were, and, and there's no, there, there, we had no, nothing at the kind of broad organizational level that we could appeal to, to even have a discussion about it. I mean, at least with sharp and fa- sharp and fast. <laughs> so two for one value. It is a two for one value. Oh my god! Yeah, I just cannot get fast sharpened fast. And then, the, and then, like someone's like, and then we give out knife sharpeners, and someone is like, no, 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 like that's a terrible idea. Stop doing that. That's a. Um, so one, I would just get on just the engineering values a little bit before we wrap up here. I, how do you shift? And we've talked a lot about kind of like values at the organizational level. It, it, when those kind of like at the more mundane level of like how engineering is actually done. I mean, the, the culture uh, of an organization is, gonna, is going to hopefully reflect those values. But how do you kind of affect change at, at that level? And I think going back to Adam, kind of the first question that we got here, like what are the important things to get set early? What's your, what's your answer to that? Well, you know, at that same company, I had, the, I had the experience of walking into an engineering culture that was very different than what I knew and what we knew at Sun and the Kernel Group and Fishworks. And it was kind of a shock to me, like in a naive way that everyone wasn't, that didn't operate in the same way. This is like in the days before Twitter. And so like we weren't chattering about this kind of thing externally. Yeah, this was shocking to me too. I didn't have this awareness. I was like, oh, we don't, everyone like uh, at this company, like everyone just ate lunch at their desks by themselves, for example. And, And that was... Very strange to me, and it still is very strange to me. Um, but you know, I, and there were there were a bunch of weird things that happened. 
uh, like um, people checking in code as root without code review and being unable to run tests and things like that. And, and it seems like, uh, you know, it's, I mean, for, in my experience, it was like a lot of really hard, uncomfortable conversations to start that discussion about, you know, what we are and what we could be and, and everyone's view on, you know, how we want to get there. And in, in my experience, there was this dissensus on values. And uh, as mm-hmm. things changed, you know, things had ossified in a particular way where some people were happy, some people weren't. And as you changed, a bunch of people left because it, you know, even the unstated values had shifted in ways that were uncomfortable to them or, you know, that unfamiliar to them. What, what was your experience in this? Because I'm sure you went through a bit of this. I, I, I went through a lot of it. Same thing. I did, similar kind of thing. I thought everybody did it this way. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Not everyone does it this way. And probably, and I didn't, I yeah, obviously wish I had, but I'm, I'm older and wiser now. And it definitely reflects kind of how we've done things at Oxide. I wish I had taken a moment and written down what, what I felt our values needed to be so I could use them as a rubric to get people to actually self-select out a little bit more. I think people, I, I kept people around and then not that like, I don't think I would have terminated anyone over a values disagreement, but I think people might have, there are some people for whom there was a clear values clash where I represented a very different way of doing things from an engineering perspective, from a, from a code review perspective, from a testing perspective and from a rigor perspective, honestly, and if I'd been more explicit about that, I think that more people would have self-selected out a little bit faster. Um, we ended up effectively affecting a cultural change in the company with how we hired. And I mean, a bunch of our, and I think you get, you guys did the same thing at Delphix where you yes. kind of like you and I were kind of the first people respectively of our kind of engineering culture, but then we both hired a bunch of our former colleagues at at Delphix and at Joint, respectively, and I think really changed those engineering cultures. That's right. Well, one thing I would just mention to to folks listening that Brian went to Joint as VP of Engineering at Delphix. I later was CTO, but I was I was hired as an individual contributor. So I don't. Um, yeah. Like I regret not writing down values, but I would have never shared them. Because, like <laughs> right. from, from your or, or, or rather publish them uh, because like from your vantage point at VP of Eng, it was totally within your purview to say hey these are our values like this is the engineering culture that I'm building whereas if I had done that it would have been e- even harder and it would have looked even more out of step with the team that I was trying to both build rapport with as like the first new person who had joined in a year but also trying to affect this change. It, totally. I'm not sure that honestly, I mean, it's true that I, you know, I had a, a, a title that may have empowered me a little bit. I don't know that it would have been successful, honestly. Yeah, because that's fair. It, you're, it, you're right. If you're making that kind of like fiat, that's, that's going to be, people are going to have an allergic reaction to that as well. Well, and I didn't have supportive people that I worked for because I, what I didn't realize until I kind of came to the company, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like I, I don't agree with the founders here on a lot of very kind of fundamental things. And the, and, you know, it would be years fast forward before we would, you know, get both, both founders would ultimately leave the company and where we would ultimately shape the values much more, uh, much more strongly, but still implicitly, I think was part of the problem that we were just not explicit about it. And, you know, this was honestly, I, I really saw this when we, I left it up to individual kind of teams to figure out how they wanted to do code review. 
And what I began to realize is that like, actually not, there were folks that were not doing code review that desperately needed to be doing code review. And I had not been sufficiently, um, I mean, autocratic for lack of a better word. I'd not been sufficiently structured. I'd not been, I, I had left it too much up to people's own judgment. And we were, you know, when you have a production problem and you're looking at code that induced a production problem and you're realizing nobody has looked at this, literally nobody has looked at this. Like this, this would not pass the most basic form of code review because just the act of putting this code in front of someone else would cause it to be not have this particular I mean, bugs that are that glaring. Um, and you realize we have got to shift the culture here and with super mixed results. You know, I mean, I, I do think that your greatest tool when you're shifting the culture are the people you haven't yet hired. And you've got an opportunity if you're in a growing organization, this goes back to Tom's point about, you know, a luxury at Sun was that Sun was growing. When you are in a growing organization, this was hit home to me when I, you know, Adam, you and I are both in this, this CTO group in San Francisco, which is really interesting, interesting group of folks. And someone who's in a very fast growing company there said, if you're going to double your engineering team in the next year, half your engineering team's not here yet. So you get to decide what that half of the engineering team believes. And that was a point that really hit home for me and kind of changed the way. I, I think I was kind of in the backseat with respect to hiring, even though I viewed hiring as important. I didn't view hiring as sculpting the future as much as I definitely do now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for, for what it's worth at, at, at Delphix, they saw that. I think that there was um, buy-in from, there was a feeling, even though it was abstract, from the VP of Eng and from the CEO that there was something about the engineering culture that was insufficient and they wanted to, so there was abstract buy-in uh, to, to make changes. Well, and I think, so th this gets to another point of like when moments values can change are moments of crisis, right? Where you have like, when you've got total buy-in that the way we're doing it is not working. And, you know, I don't think, Tom, I don't think Amazon ever had to hit, I mean, I, you know, Amazon had, um, although I know those early years were a real struggle. I don't know that, that Amazon ever kind of hit a moment where it's like, okay, we need to totally change tack because this current direction as a company is just not working. Um, but Adam, you were definitely at that spot. I think I was at that spot a little bit at Joanne as well, where, you know, there's nothing like reporting to the chair. We talked the last week about HBO Silicon Valley and reporting to the chair. I think like reporting to the chair to, uh, to uh, give you the message that actually the, the, the company's future is definitely up to the people working at it. Matt, did you, Matt, you were at, at, uh, at Uber at a, at a time when, uh, well, there's a lot of things that are now findings of fact at your time at Uber. What, what was your take on the role and values there? So, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, I was definitely there when, <laughs> the company flew us all to Las Vegas and we sat in a big theater and Travis put on a lab coat and he said, and he had this, <laughs> this really fancy like presentation and he was like, Hey, here are all the values. And it was like, there was video, there was, you know, production values. It was like a whole thing. And it just kind of, it was so weird because it just seemed like, out of nowhere you know it just seemed like hey we're we hereby declare that these are all the values and 
the, I think the interesting thing to me, um, and I've heard, you know, kind of elements of this in this conversation today is that the folks that I worked with, like the, the sphere of people that I interacted with, like we had a set of values and we kind of increasingly realized that there were some conflicts, like yeah, regardless of like how the, um, you know, the taxonomy, right? Like 14 values or whatever. Like I, I it just, it, it, it's so many values that just, it could mean anything, but like, y- you know, when your values that like your peers hold versus the leadership holds are, are different. And, you know, we were pressuring Travis pretty regularly, like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make <laughs> sense. And, um, so anyway, I, I think it's it's interesting that you can sort of propose some values from a you know top down way and say these are our corporate values. But you know, you already hired a few thousand people. And yeah. Like may, maybe they don't have those values. <laughs> maybe those weren't the conditions under which they were hired. Right. Maybe um, you, Matt, were not hired with meritocracy and toe stepping in mind. Sorry to pick on one, one of the, the more. No. I, oh my God, I can only imagine. And I know, I'm sorry, I'm sure this is traumatic for you as an adult that was in that room. But God, you must have just had your head in your hands being like, what is this? What yeah, you is know, the you know mess? Agreed. Yeah, so, so definitely, like, I, I mean, I was a very mixed mind because, like, the the folks that, that, that Uber attracted were, you know, they were definitely like very creative, ambitious people. And like, those are the people that I like to work with. And I mean, there's a lot of tremendously good people. And I feel like the values that we had kind of at the lower levels were, were just simply different yeah. than, than the, the values that like kind of leadership was espousing or, you know, trying to kind of formalize with the 14 principles or whatever. So I don't know. Reminds me very much of Enron, right? And Adam, you and I dealing very closely with the IT folks at Enron who had a very, I mean, they were shocked when Enron delaminated because it's like, these values are not our values. Like what the hell is this? And as I mean, it must be, it's, it's just gotta be very frustrating. As, as someone who, who is like, look, this does not reflect who I am. It doesn't reflect who I want to be. And yet I'm being kind of tarnished with this very, with this coarse brush. Like, I, I have to say like the, the, the Twitter perception of like, Oh, if you've ever worked for Uber, you've got a black, you know, mark on your resume or whatever that, that is a, a Twitter meme. It's complete nonsense. <laughs> like, totally. Like, the amount of LinkedIn action you get from having worked at Uber is uh, pretty intense. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, people are very, very happy to, <laughs> you know, pick up ex Uber engineers. It's, you know, it's to the point where you know, you know how like in in uh, you'll you'll see these headlines where they say this was done by an ex Google engineer, and you're like, oh boy, how revered. Um, but, you know, of course, if you know, like, what's happened to Google's culture these days, you're like, mm. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, that could be anything. Tell me more. What were those person's OKRs? 
<laughs> are, 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 they, are they L6? Or how many bodies do they leave in their wake getting to L6? I, it, could, it could mean literally anything. Like they, they could just be like uh, just showing up, <laughs> resting, investing, etc. Or they could actually be like super smart. Like, I mean, just, I don't know. Anyway, um, but I, th- that is, um, yeah, so, so like the, 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 you know, kind of lasting reputation, I think, in the industry of having worked at Uber is, eh, you know, it, it, it's most, it's more positive than negative. Um, we did a ton of good stuff. I mean, we, like technology wise, like, if you look at kind of the open source stuff that we built, um, I mean, it, it made a lasting impact on on stuff people use, um, even like regardless of, I mean, ride sharing business or whatever. But like we wrote a ton of software and, you know, we released a lot of it. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I, I would like to say uh, Jaeger is speaking of cool software that I, I think Jaeger is pretty neat done from yeah. the, the, the folks at Uber. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, but by turning the brush, I, I didn't mean in any sort of like scarlet letter sense. Cause I, I mm. agree. And I, I mean, I don't think that, I, I mean, the only company that's come. Brian, did we lose you? Uh-oh. Sounds like we lost him. Oh dear. We may, we may have but the only company. Let, let, let me just, let me just say, I, we can imagine what company Brian probably meant, but, um, Lots and lots of people did say, oh, if you if you worked at Uber, we are never hiring you again, you know, in their kind of, you know, Twitter based sort of righteous indignation. Um, But it's, you know, it's a a really weird situation where, you know, like in large organizations, depending on how large it is, like you might disagree with some kind of something that the leadership does. But like, it doesn't mean that, that there aren't good things or, or reasons why you're sort of participating in that, such as, for example, um, every American uh, under the last president. Like, <laughs> exactly. You, you might say like, oh, well, why don't you just like renounce your citizenship? <laughs> like, or, well, or even folks working for the federal government in that, yeah, in, 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 exactly. in that administration. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, just like, hang on a second. Like, I think this is actually kind of bigger and more important than just one person. And, you know, we may disagree with this person, but like, I don't know, like we're, this is kind of a big deal. No, that's right. And I think you can, I mean, in my experience, even, you know, this, uh, you can be in cultures where, or in companies where, say, one part of the company, uh, like in, in my, in my experience, like, I was at a company where the sales organization was, you know, kind of only mildly ethical. Like, uh, you know, sales folks would tell me stories <laughs> My, of kickbacks. Ethical, that, yeah, it? yeah. It's, like, I mean, like, it's a fun way to describe it. Yeah, like I was out with a, a sales guy who would tell me about how they made some deal and needed to buy a watch for the customer. I'm like, is that, I don't, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, uh, but bad. it was also a culture where, you know, that kind of thing, you know, I'm not sure, you know, if I, when I, um, you know, reported that to, to my boss, they're like, well, you know, the guy's making his number. How he makes it is not my responsibility. Whereas, you know, if that thing had had happened in my organization, although engineers weren't doing too many kickbacks, um, you know, that that wouldn't have been okay. So, but but to your point, you know, uh, you know, organizations are big places with different pockets and different subcultures, and not, you know, certainly you have some bad actors who can make things tough for everyone, but is not necessarily reflective of everyone.
Um, I, I have a uh, stupid off-topic question. Uh, since I'm not from the states, uh, Matt, why wouldn't they hire if you were from Uber? Like, what's what's the deal there? What happened? <laughs> okay, <laughs> Just, <laughs> during the height during the height of the Uber controversy, which which I mean, it was really bad. Like, I, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, like it was not good. Um, and and honestly, like a lot of the criticism that you saw publicly kind of about, uh, you know, the leadership was was echoed internally. But anyway, the, it certainly in in my Twitter timeline, there were a tremendous number of people saying, you know, this is so disgusting that if any, you know, I will I refuse to ever hire anyone who ever worked at Uber. And like. This was a thing a lot of people said. <laughs> right. Which is just kind of ridiculous, I think. That they, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, how many people are those folks hiring? Just because, like, everyone has lots of work experiences. And, come on, they're, like, you're, you're going to write off however many thousands of engineers ever worked at, at, at a particular company? That's Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think it's just really similar to saying, like, you'll never hire Americans because, like, you disagree yeah. with the president. It's like, well... I don't know. <laughs> like, it's kind of bigger than one person, you know? It is. It's also, I mean, you have to have empathy for the people that are in those organizations in that they are going through their own kind of anguish. And, you know, I honestly, we had a, someone who was wanted to come to Oxide, was at Meta, and have a, a borderline nervous breakdown because they were so they were conflicted at the deepest possible levels about their own responsibility because they i mean they were going to be taking they were going to leave a lot of equity on the table um from meta to come work for oxide and they were having a true crisis of conscience and with like physical manifestations so i i i i don't think I think you got to be really careful with looking at a, a, a anything on the resume that you would treat as a scarlet letter. I think you always have to ask that even for, I mean, th- there are probably some kind of examples to, th- to that that I probably won't name to when getting myself into trouble. But I don't think it's any of the large companies. I think that the, yeah, it, it's, certain lawnmower based uh, personifications of leadership. Might <laughs> okay. <be interesting. laughs> so I actually, you know, I wasn't actually thinking of the lawnmower. The, I actually think that I, I mean I I do think that there's a degree to which that when you are at a company for a long period of time you have to accept that you're taking some responsibility for their values. That doesn't mean that you are culpable and I think I would not like I definitely had people that have worked at Oracle for a long period of time and and later, so I think it's it's, it's okay, but it's it's got to be something you'll be ready. You got to be willing to, to talk about. I think with with Uber, it was so the whole thing was so fast. I mean, Jesus, it went. It was Enron, right? I mean, Enron. You definitely can't blame anyone for working at Enron because the thing came unglued so quickly. Well, and it was such a small group of folks who were who were enforcing the bad behavior. Yeah, and I think at Enron, the folks certainly the folks that we know at Enron would tell you the problem, the cultural problem at Enron is that nobody questioned results. That it was 100% financial results oriented. And if you delivered financial results, people didn't want to ask the follow-up questions of how you've done it. And 
that's a cultural problem. I mean, one that's a very acute cultural problem. On the other hand, that does that doesn't paint everyone with the same brush. It means you're definitely going to have groups of folks that are going to have their own subcultures uh, within it. And yeah, I don't know if if, if there are at this point. Um, there are companies that are certainly. Um, it will be. And I'm getting a text message. Oh, there we go. Uh, that might. Oh, so I'm sorry. My audio is getting cut up. Sorry, I thought that. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I actually thought that that text message came from Twitter. That's a, that's really embarrassing. That I've actually. I guess we are past the past the singularity. Well, Adam, I know we wanted it to uh, to be respectful of the rest of everyone's evening. I, any, I'm, I'm sorry that my phone was rebooting for a while. No, no problem. I, I, but uh, Aaron just joined us. Aaron, any last uh, kind of pat parting shots for us? I was just going to bring up the the Lights Out book by GE and how, you know, is when you're getting results, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. And that's kind of a very Jack Welchian uh, thing as well, that if you made your quarter and you hit your numbers, that nobody really looked uh, too deep. So. Yeah, and I'm actually reading Lights Out right now. Definitely recommend it. Um, you know, we've got the blessing of, of having some uh, a bunch of XGE colleagues, Aaron among them, who recommended this book. Have you read Lights Out, Adam? Have you no, I haven't. It's. Um, I'm actually. We're going to have everyone in town next week, and so I'm. I'm actually reading it. Aaron, I'm trying to get it read, but I know you're not going to give me a Jack Welch pop quiz. But I just want to let you know that I'll be ready for it. Um, it is. It, it is very revealing uh, in terms of the, the. It is the danger of being, and I just think it shows you that these things are intention. You can be overly results driven. Everyone being results driven is great, but you can be results driven to a fault when you take it to this extreme whereby you're not actually asking any kind of follow-up. So I think, all right, so what are our conclusions on engineering culture, Adam? Get uh, it right. Get, get it right first, but I think it's not a lost cause if you don't. I think, I, I, or maybe that's my overly hopeful view, but, but it's incremental and uh, word frittatas and jambalaya won't, won't uh, cause any, any shift in culture. Word jambalaya won't cause any shift in culture. The, the right time to plant the tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, unless you need to chop the tree down with your, <laughs> your sharp and fast. <laughs> That's right. You can use that to sharpen your axe. And I, then I also do think that like when it comes to values, you know, you've got to figure out how much you are going to change the organization you're in. And how much you're going to go to a different organization, a different company that better reflects those values. And it should be said, Matt, you are no longer an Uber. And, you know, you know that, that, that are, who knows to what degree that, I, mean, I don't know you, to what degree the values played a role in that. But, um, you know, you, people, you, you should find organizations that, that fit your values that you can both, that you can help shape, but that you're not having to fight all hands where you're talking about metamates. Metamides. <laughs> Metamides. Uh, certainly that, that did, uh, that did play a role, but you know, when, when, when Dara uh, came on, I, I feel like that was a pretty substantial shift um, in kind of everything, but you know, it's interesting. Uh, you're talking about like, can you, can you sort of retroactively apply values? Like he inherited this kind of gigantic machine and was like, okay, well, some of these values are bad 
<laughs> like we we need different ones, and like he had to somehow in, impose a new corporate value system, which is like hard. But, it's hard, uh, and but just to your point, there is some subsection, some subset, maybe a lot, a big subset in Vegas that is actually cringing at these. Those are the group who you're going to build these new values upon, and hopefully he has. I'm glad to see that they did chuck the values, um, or, or they, I think, greatly simplified and reduced and, and made much truer to who they wanted to be as a company. Yep. I would love to that, that, that said, I would love to watch that video. I would, that, the, the, if, if that video is on the internet anywhere, I would love to watch. Travis so the, 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 have you seen the, the trailer for the Showtime Uber movie? No, like, it, it has, it has <laughs> this scene of the Vegas unveil of the values and it, they some they must have gotten people who were there because it is uncannily accurate. Oh God, <laughs> like, I can't wait to watch really it. Good. I I'm, I am yeah. I'll be it'll be interesting to watch it. I'll be. Um... Let let me let me just throw in one like really you know sort of in fun complicating factor, which is um, you know it, it is for a lot of folks it it can be very hard to sort of um, wait the values that they personally have in their lives when all of a the sudden they're getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. And I think you see this with like, you know, crypto and NFTs. I think, you know, people getting enriched, it makes them sort of like, I don't know, confused or, or uh, willing to sort of, you know, deprioritize things that may, may have otherwise been uh, a higher priority for them. But like, Travis took us to Vegas and we had a fucking private Beyonce show. Like we literally had a private Beyonce show. It was amazing. <laughs> like it was so good. Um, no, nobody knew about it. They hid it from the press. And like <laughs> to this day, I think it's really hard to find out about the fact that like Beyonce did an Uber show. <laughs> and I mean, that's like super cool. And also like, you know, a bunch of people finally were able to buy houses in the Bay area. And this is like, you know, it's hard when you're in that environment to sort of think, I think, you know, get a, get a, get the full perspective of like, well, you know, how important are these values to me? <laughs> Cause like, I can't afford to live here, but now I can. And isn't that great? Yeah, no, it's not easy. And certainly you've got to have a lot, again, you got to have a lot of empathy for people that are in that position. But that said, the, I, the, the my counter to that would be uh, I know it's true for me. It's true for I think a lot of people. Um, my most miserable professional time also happened to correlate with my best compensation. So uh, don't uh, don't uh, when you are sacrificing your own happiness and certainly your own kind of moral compass, moral core for compensation. It, it's important to figure out like what's really important to you and. You yeah, know. for sure. No, I, I think if if you're if you're conscious about it, if it's an active decision, it is very very different than I think. What what t- tends to happen is um, you're like, oh, this huge problem in my life is solved, and you start rationalizing away kind of all these things that you might otherwise object to, and you're not like consciously thinking like, oh, I'm fine with this. Like, 
your unconscious mind is like, oh, thank God I can finally like, you know, <laughs> do this. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's a tough problem. Um, I agree with you, though, that if you are, if you're conscious about it, if you're active, like, yes, you should have morals. You should stick to them. It's good. Well, and I just think that maybe that's a note to end on that. I just think in general, when it comes to culture, engineering culture, when it comes to values, err on the side of being explicit. I do think that there is a, there's a lot of value to be had by being explicit, by using them as a lens for decision-making, um, by using them as a lens for hiring. Uh, and a lot of, I think people are looking for that kind of clarity. And I think especially for those who are leaders in their organization, um, it's clarity that people are, are, are seeking and um, we can serve them well by offering it. Yeah, I to- totally agree. Yeah, totally you're agree. Here. All right, on that note, sorry about my, the, the phone reboot. That was not Twitter's fault. That was 100% my fault. Sorry about the breaking up. Hopefully that, that got resolved. Um, but thank you very much, everyone. in Tranek, I know it's incredibly uh, early over there, so thank you for, for joining us. 7 a.m. <laughs> there you go, 7 a.m. now. Exactly. Thank you for the early start with us, uh, and uh, happy presence, everyone. Take care. Thanks, everyone.